0: The Department of Health led by Minister Kubai. We welcome your Minister, and uh, we welcome your team. We would like to thank you for coming in and uh, our engagement with you is with this continued uh, problem we have in the country. A two-weekly uh, a presentation by the Minister and her team regarding where are we in terms of uh, rolling out the vaccines? Are we winning on the Delta variant? Are there any other challenges that you might share with us as a portfolio committee? Now I'll leave, I'll give this opportunity to the minister to then lead the presentation and then we will come thereafter, Minister, to engage with you uh, in the clarity seeking questions, and then you come back again to help us with the responses. If I may now invite you and give you this opportunity to make a a presentation to the Portfolio Committee. Thank you.
1: Good evening, Chairperson. Good evening, members of the Portfolio Committee, DM colleagues. Um, Thank you very much. Um, Chair, if I'm correct, maybe I got worried when you made your opening. My understanding is that the focus of the discussion today is on um, vaccine. Uh, We were requested to present on vaccine, not generally all the issues. I hope I'm correct. Um, The presentation that we have will ask Dr. Crisp to lead in the presentation. Um, Members would know that um, we've made quite um, some progress or progress in the vaccine rollout since our last briefing to the portfolio committee. Firstly, it's the... um, Um, ramping up of the vaccine run out where we are sitting. So we'll take through members in terms of the ramping up where we've passed our 5 million mark. I know it's not yet sufficient uh, as others have pointed out correctly. So in terms of the percentage versus uh, the population, but we think we are doing very well in terms of improving. Secondly, it's the opening of the... 35 plus population that is commonly now popularly known as the national group. Uh, They call themselves breadwinners. We've passed um, 1 million registration within 24 hours, but we are already seeing them literally um, not waiting for the first, but saying we want to be vaccinated now, which has given a positive spin in terms of the vaccine run out assisted in dealing with the issues around vaccine uh, hesitancy where they've literally shown that it's a population that is willing to take um, this vaccine uh, program to another level. Um, Another issue, Chair, is that you note since we've presented here, we've launched um, the vaccine rollout within the security cluster. And also, um, when we talk about security cluster, we talk about all those but are uh, within the military, the uh, police and others, and correctional services. So all the security cluster, um in terms of government uh, being included. Now also we had social development included in terms of the rollout. Um, where we are sitting now, we seem to see that, uh, and then we've, we've done the occupational health and safety ones. where we are sitting, Chair, just to indicate to members, we are seeing that, Specific targeted um, vaccine programs, or what we call sector programs, seem to take a lot of admin work, uh, preparation, and ensuring that you have to have the data uh, reliability, and you've got to have um, verification methods that you must have. So, one of the things now we're starting to think about and see how best we do is to say, let's ensure that we have the security of supply, so that we can open quickly for the next um, cohort, so that we do not have to focus specifically on certain areas of the vaccine program in terms of sectoral basis. The ones that we have done have given us a lesson. And that's why we're out of those now. We're starting to have a conversation amongst ourselves who are responsible for this program to say, what is the best way forward? And that would be some of the things that we would want to consider and look and present towards The IMC will be appearing before the IMC tomorrow presenting some of the recommendations of what we want to see going forward. Uh, so recommendations around those areas, we can all go public about them. Once from a cabinet point of view, they've been approved. So in terms of where we are, We are starting to monitor as well in terms of districts, um, performance, provinces, and the engagements that we are utilizing through the Presidential Coordinating Committee that has MECs and of local government and of um, health, together with premiers, is helpful because they're starting and and Mayor Metros and and, and Mayors and and local government representatives. It's starting to showcase that everybody should pay attention to what we are doing there uh, and be able to see um, whether their districts, their province, how they are performing. And following that presentation last week, we're starting to see more rigorous focus by provinces in ensuring that we can be able to protect um, our population in terms of vaccination and contributing um, towards uh, immunity, though we, we are still far, as I said, Uh, We're looking at the percentage where we are sitting and we'd want to continue to wrap up. So we continue to brief the portfolio committee in terms of the updates on issues that have been approved uh, and on issues that um, we'd want to account in terms of how far we are going uh, and the work that we're doing. So that's my remarks, Chair, I'm opening. And through you, if I may allow uh, Dr. Crisp, who's leading the presentation, and secondly, just to indicate that the DG will not be able to join us. We have agreed that DG uh, would not be able to, or oh, he's joined, I see he's here as a co-host as well, so that he can present. But it was Dr. Crisp who will present. Uh, I see he's managed to join because initially he was not going to join, but it's fine. Uh, it means their meeting is finished, because he was meeting with the teams in the provinces. While we are here, maybe let me just reflect. In terms of the riots that we've seen um, in the past few days, They have um, to a certain extent in case again affected our vaccine rollout, um, whereby, for example, issue around uh, vaccination, we had to take a decision to hold a bit the vaccination until we understood the situation, how it is, what is the impact, uh, and how do we ensure the security of of the vaccines so that they don't end up in wrong hands, uh, or we lose stock um, in terms of that, but equally, because people were not able to move across the province. So that's what we had to do, take that decision, and then uh, later we had to resume. So vaccination is start, has started in case that, and it's happening. Uh, in Gauteng, we stopped for a day and we were able to vaccinate continuously. So in broadly, because we're talking about how the health supply zone was affected uh, in terms of people having to access hospitals, for their treatments, all other treatments in terms of dialysis, in terms of other medication that they needed. Some of the uh, facilities that were disrupted in terms of it's within the supply side of our medicines um, and as well in terms of distribution. We were able to secure distribution of oxygens to hospitals through escorts by police. So that was helpful. We were able to do that and ensure that there isn't shortage of oxygen in hospitals, in that um, we had to even engage the security cluster in various areas of interventions where there was a need for intervention and support and we continue to do that. So that work in quantifying continuous chair, we have a sense of where we are in quantifying the losses and what we have lost in terms of KZN specifically. But um, it's not yet finalized because some of the people are still accessing the sites to see what is there, to quantify what the loss is. But one of the other thing, as I conclude, Chair, is that we need to continuously appeal to the population where they would find themselves with um, medicine in the black market, that they need to be careful because this might be medicine that is contaminated, that might affect their lives. And this is the appeal we need to make into those communities and make an appeal for them to, because many of them have been um, in interaction with people groups in, in this routine spree. Um, and some of them would have come into contact with people who are positive, COVID positive. And we are requesting them to say when they see science and they're not feeling well, they must present themselves to health facilities and test, so that we can be able to contain the Delta virus within cases and we continue to be worried about likelihood of what we are going to see. The lead time, as we all know, is between seven to 14 days that we are likely to start seeing the numbers going up in case again. So that's what we are worried about, and we continue to monitor. Thank you very much, Chair. I hand over to Dr. Crisp to present. Uh, As
0: Dr. Crisp does, thank you very much, Minister, with your opening remarks. May I request that uh, whoever is going to present, starting with Nicola Cripps, we also share your video and your face, as uh, this uh, program is being uh, taken live in our parliamentary programs. Thank you very much.
2: Uh, good evening, Chairperson, Minister, Deputy Minister, Honourable Members and Colleagues. Thank you very much. I'm not going to repeat any of what the Honourable Minister has already uh, told you about, but what I would like to do is just share some of the statistics of where we are at the moment, and uh, then I'll explain a little bit about where we believe we are going to and how long it's going to take us to get there. So this particular slide is uh, from 8 o'clock this morning. Uh, we had done 5.57 vac- million vaccines administered, and we are reporting on the two different vaccines we use. Johnson & Johnson is just over a million, and the Pfizer vaccine just over four and a half million. And you can see the breakdown in this, uh, in this slide of uh, where the various doses have been uh, provided and administered. In the bottom left-hand corner, the coloured bar charts show that that is where the Sasonki vaccinations, the J&J vaccination of the uh, healthcare workers has been administered. And the next one is the that since the end of the Sasonki programme, where we have administered uh, in the national programme Johnson & Johnson vaccines, most of these, I think the, by now the public and the committee is aware, that these vaccines expire on the 11th of August, and uh, so they were. They were most of them were allocated to specific uh, public essential services programs, such as those the minister referred to in the security cluster. All of those projects are now running at full steam, and uh, there are one or two small ones that are um, due to start on, as far as I know, on Monday, if it all goes according to plan. But they are rolling out, and then we'll see this middle-coloured group of uh, bar charts rising as those vaccines are admitted. Uh, then you can see on the right-hand side, the green and gold bars. The green is first doses that have been administered of the Pfizer vaccine, and the gold bars is the, the second doses. So Pfizer first doses, 3.671 million, and the second dose is 873,000. I think everyone knows by now the second dose is administered anytime after 42 days from the first dose. It doesn't matter if it's delayed longer, but it, it shouldn't, we're not administering before the 42 days is up. So when we report fully vaccinated persons, we add the national uh, total of the Johnson and Johnson vaccines to the Pfizer second dose. And those are fully vaccinated individuals. Whereas when we report on vaccines administered, it's all the vaccines administered. That might help to clarify things. If we can move to the next few slides, I'm going to take you through where we are province by province. And then it's easy to, to see where the challenges lie in the, in the rollout program. So what we see in each of these slides will be on the left-hand side, the table with the numbers of individuals vaccinated and individuals fully vaccinated. And remember, that's now Johnson & Johnson single dose and those who've had two doses of Pfizer. So we are monitoring both uh, of these numbers and why that's important to us is because um, a single dose of Pfizer still conveys a lot of immune protection, at least from severe illness and hospitalization, very effective, but it is not totally effective against the transmission of the virus, and we want to break the transmission of the virus, which is why we are trying to also get as many as possible second-dose vaccines done now. Johnson & Johnson uh, is just a, a single-dose vaccine. So this table shows us that by the 8 o'clock on the 21st today, this morning, the number of individuals who had received the vaccination was 654,780 in the Eastern Cape. But uh, the number who was fully vaccinated was 217,843. On the right-hand side, you can see uh, represented graphically in the green bars, each of the districts of the Eastern Cape. And that, uh, uh, depends a lot on the population. And what we will be showing in subsequent slides and in our improved dashboards is what proportion of the total number of people in each of those target populations of those districts are we reaching. I'll show you one slide just now. The graph below shows the daily vaccinations and the, you can see the dips are the weekends. And that is where the president has exhorted us to uh, make a plan and to get services to run weekends. And there are a number of sites that have been identified where the capacity is possible. And they are already starting to put plans in place to either have one day or both, th- or both days of the weekend for vaccination. But what you can see in the Eastern Capes chart is the, the picking up of the vaccinations through the Sasonki program from February to May. And then from the 17th of May, the slow start, going through June up now into July, where we, we see a, a nice constant growth as more uh, vaccines are administered because more sites are coming online and uh, more staff are available. In the free state, we see a similar picture. It's a smaller population, so their total vaccinations was 247,000, of which 100,000 and some are fully vaccinated. Again, the five districts of the free state with Mangong being the, the most populous has got the highest number of vaccinations. Um, remember again, individuals vaccinated. This is also these, this series is all at eight o'clock, uh, this morning. So up to the end of day yesterday, you can see the worm of, uh, the, on the bottom right hand side also showing good growth. And what we're trying to monitor is that every week, the peak is higher than the previous peak and that we want to see that the weekend dips either completely disappearing or smoothing off substantially as, pe- as people are vaccinated over weekends. Kharting province obviously has a huge population compared with other provinces, so they have vaccinated 1.1 million people so far. The individuals uh, um, vaccinated fully is just under 100, uh, just under 500,000. And the concentration of that is in Johannesburg, which has the biggest population, then Tswani and uh, Kurileni. And we are also can see in the graph on the bottom right-hand corner how uh, each week is exceeding the targets of the previous week. And, um, and again, you can see here towards the end of July where uh, the weekend disappeared because they were vaccinating over that weekend on some of their programs. Uh, KwaZulu Natal. Uh, again, you see the individuals vaccinated, eight hundred and forty thousand of which just on half are fully vaccinated. And on the the many districts of KwaZulu Natal, Etiquini has got the biggest concentration, the biggest population, and the biggest number of vaccinated individuals. And you can see the impact of the unrest. So now, KwaZulu-Natal was interesting in that they adopted a different strategy when they started the vaccination program. They started with mass sites in the urban areas, with large numbers of people being vaccinated in a very short space of time. And as they moved their program out of the major urban centers into the more difficult places to reach, their numbers went down a bit. And then they peaked at the end of June, the beginning of July, when the The educator program came on stream, and then you can see on the right-hand side the dip where a whole week was lost in vaccinations, and on any one day, they went from, instead of doing between 35 and 40,000 vaccinations a day in that province, they only did between two and 5,500 because of the unrest that was going on. But all provinces uh, are going to do what they can to support KZN, to pick up with the with the lost opportunities of that week. Um, Limpopo, uh, the individuals vaccinated is just over half a million. And again, almost half of that are fully vaccinated. Uh, and that's, but remember, both the Johnson Johnson and two Pfizer doses. Uh, Limpopo adopted a different strategy. It's a rural province and it's a, a province where the population is perhaps less engaged with the technology. So they took their campaign out in a, in a very proactive, mobile way using community health workers, community development workers, uh, the community leaders from both the traditional community uh, program, uh, tribal leaders plus the um, uh, religious leaders and the political leaders of the local governments and so on. And they went on a big mobilization campaign week by week stepping up into the, the rural areas and it paid dividends for them as you can see, their their graph in the bottom right-hand corner grew very quickly through the month of June and has been fairly well sustained in July. They are now embarking on programs, in, particularly in the mining communities where there are concentrations of of people uh, in workplaces and workplaces where it's hard to isolate from from other workers. And that's a new initiative that they are pushing quite hard in Limpopo. In Pumalanga, they got off to a bit of a slow start. It's a smaller population, but they have vaccinated 235, almost 236,000 people, not done as well with the fully vaccinated population with only about uh, just under a third vaccinated fully. Um, but their program is growing steadily. You can see on the bottom right-hand corner, with the exception of that one very steep increase, which was the educator program, there is still constant week-on-week growth of their program. They're not closing many weekends yet, but there are two weekends that where you can see a little bit of a, a closure where they've been able to reach out. They are also now embarking on some community, uh, some workplace programs in uh, Sasol and in a couple of other, like in the mining community, uh, the coal mining community, and I'm sure we will see those figures coming through in the next week or two. Northern Cape has a whole different set of challenges because of the rural nature of the province. They also have a very small population. They've reached 87,500 people, uh, of which just under a half are fully vaccinated. The concentration of the population is in Kimberley, which is why France's Bard District Municipality has the largest number of vaccinations. But you can see that the, their growth has been consistent, and we're very happy to see that. With a massive step up now in the last day or two, this province had pl- pl- had been planned to be a solely Johnson and Johnson vaccine province because of the difficulties with the with the distances. And when the Johnson and Johnson vaccine was delayed and delayed and delayed, they had to switch their program to uh, accommodate the Pfizer vaccine, which is a very different vaccine. It's different needles and syringes, different cold chain storage. storage um, Requirements and uh, so their uh, month of May and June was very difficult for them. But since they got on top of it, I think they've they have now really shown they're able to to build a, a sustained program. Northwest, there are a number of different features in Northwest's program. They have vaccinated two hundred and forty thousand people, with uh, just under half fully vaccinated. the The thing that's different about Northwest is the that they have a, a large number of mining communities, where the the mining occupational health services in those areas have got substantial capacity and have been vaccinating their workers. Um, but otherwise, we are pleased to notice that, like all the other provinces, they have got had constant growth. And you can see now in July, in the last few days, how all provinces are picking up. That little steep upturn in the beginning of July was, again, the educator program when, when that got going. The Western Cape is the last province. Uh, the population is heavily concentrated in the Cape metropole area. So that's why the concentration of their vaccinations are there. The total number of people vaccinated there is 831,000. Uh, but only a third of them are fully vaccinated. You can see from the graph on the right hand bottom corner how their program has also grown. That peak in the, in July was there, there was also their education program which really got going, they 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 deliberately started it slowly to learn because they weren't sure how it was going to affect their community program. But once they got it going in the second week of July, it really took off. And uh, they've had a sustained growth. They have now opened a mass uh, site now in the past week or so in the CTICC. And there are other mass sites, as the minister referred to earlier, that that provinces are opening, and it'll be very interesting to see how quickly these numbers pick up. In terms of coverage, what we are concerned about, and I'm not showing you per district here just because it gets very cluttered and busy, but what we are doing is we are trying to monitor that the whole country moves along at an acceptable speed, and where we see that a province or districts within a province are lagging behind, then we uh, support from national to both the private providers and the public sector to see if we can increase the the rates of vaccination. So you can see in this uh, graph on the left-hand side, the province, the total population just under 60 million, and uh, we are updating to the stats SA newest population figures that are provided to a provincial level, and then we are doing our own distribution below that to districts and subdistricts uh, using the proportions of the previous uh, disag- disaggregated populations, um, but uh, be that as it may, if we look at the almost 60 million people in the total population, you can see the distribution uh, of the vaccinations across the provinces in the second column of numbers, and the vaccination coverage ranges from the Western Cape of 2. point, I mean of 10.45 percent closely followed by the Eastern Cape at 9.75% and Limpopo at 8.9%. So rural provinces doing just as well as urban provinces and uh, some of the others a little bit behind. Um, The insured and uninsured populations are something that we are monitoring very closely because we don't want to see that the uh, private sector is a runaway insured population. Um so I didn't mention the total vaccination coverage at the moment is 7.85%, which is more than double what it was uh three weeks ago. Uh, so the the tempo of the program has picked up very nicely. The insured self-reported population is uh in the um country is shown. So those are the medical aid members and beneficiaries, the eight point nine nine zero million people. And um The uh, vaccinated proportion of that 8.99 million is the 1.599 or 1.6 million, which is 17.8% of the insured population has been vaccinated. And you can see the concentration in the Western Cape, but also in the Eastern Cape and KwaZulu-Natal. The uninsured population is not as well vaccinated. And this is of concern. Because we are trying to get equity. And the problem, if the private sector runs ahead and the insured populations are the first ones vaccinated, then we leave the uninsured population behind. So on the, the column, uh, the third column from the right, that's the remaining portion of the population that is not insured by any medical scheme, the 50, 50.8 50, million people. And only 3 million of that population has been vaccinated so far, which constitutes only 6.09%. Obviously, the weighted average is that we've reached 7.85% of the total population, but it does mean as a percentage of the total target, we are being less successful in getting to the uninsured than the insured. And part of the reason for that is the location of the uh, many uh, private sector sites in the urban areas where the majority of the insured population lives. It is also skewed by the fact that we have been vaccinating very heavily in the public sector on the uh, health, social and security clusters, and the vast majority of those people in the public sector programs are insured and are on medical aids. So, when those programs are over, I'm pretty sure that the uninsured population will pick up uh, the tempo will pick up in that population. So just briefly to show the public health care workers as a as a group, um, so what happened was and this is now a different date because I didn't have this uh, access to this slide for today. This is dated on the nineteenth. It hasn't changed very much since then. The uh, definition of healthcare workers was changed. And as a result of that, a very wide range of people who work as support structures and support uh, professionals in the health system and not necessarily uh, hands-on registered healthcare professionals are included in the group. So what is reflected here is the public healthcare workers, and one can see the total number, the 357,000 employed in the public sector. 271,000 of those have been vaccinated which is a 76% coverage now in a general population to reach more than 70% would be uh, it would be a cause for a major celebration because it's very seldom that one gets above about 70% but this is an informed targeted population in the health sector and of those 244,996 are fully vaccinated uh, and that means that 68% of the target population in the public health care workers is vaccinated. In the education sector, this has been quite a moving target because we started off with educators and other uh, workers in the education sector, but it then got, uh, we weren't aware in the beginning that it included the food workers on the school health program and others. So the databases grew to 826,000. But the program was designed to reach 480,000 and we reached 464,000 people, which is of the, of the new listed education sector, only 56%. Uh, but because it's mostly the Johnson and Johnson vaccine in this sector, uh, the figure, the percentage fully vaccinated is not vastly different. We all provinces are continuing to, to vaccinate people out of the education sector who present themselves but now no longer in a dedicated program. They will just go into the general public program. And we would like to get all sectors above 65% vaccinated. The defense force has recently started. Obviously, they are a little bit engaged with other things at the moment as well. So it's got off to a bit of a slow start, but it has only been a few days. They have vaccinated 9.44% of the tar- target population and they will embark on a second program to to vaccinate military veterans when this is done, uh, and they're using the South African military health services. Who uh, so they're not taking resources out of any other sector to vaccinate their members. The police has uh, South African police services, which includes IPED uh, and the police members who are both appointed in terms of the Police Act and the Public Service Act, constitute 187,000 people. This program has only recently got going as well. 28,000 people have been vaccinated so far, which is about 15% of the target population. And their target is to end by the 8th of August. So we, we hope that this tempo is going to pick up. Uh, so I think I'll, I will end there. That just gives you an idea of the statistics. And as the minister said, perhaps as I'm signing out of this, is that we are presently vaccinating one million people every four days, or very close to that. And our target is by the end of next week, we want to be vaccinating close to a million people every three days, certainly every three and a half days. Uh, and that will mean that we will be able to have, vaccina- have vaccinated at least one dose to 35 million people before Christmas. That's the target that we have been set and that we are chasing ourselves.
3: Thank you, Chair. I'm gonna stop at that point.
0: Okay, thank you very much, Dr. Chris, that uh, presentation detail. Let me just check on my, yes, okay. The first member that has indicated the desire to ask is Honorable Kwahube. Will be followed by Honorable Masengwa. The third one is Honorable Sokacha. The fourth is Honorable Chilwa. Uh, may I now, in this platform, take additional names number one being Kwahube. Number two being Masengwa. The third one being Sokacha. The fourth is Chirwa. Any fourth hand? Fifth. Sorry. Uh, Any takers now? Okay. Uh, (laughs) Honourable Kela, shout your name here. Well, I'm no more looking at that platform. Number five will be honourable Kela. just shout here if there's any other one after Honorable Kela. So we have five hands. I'll take number six. Thank you very much. Uh, can you start, Honorable Kwahube? Uh,
4: thank you, Chairperson, and uh, thank you to the Acting Minister and her team. Um, I Look, I'm aware that there was a reluctance to give... Um, a quantity on or at least a a sense of the damage that has been suffered over the unrest of the past week, of the past weeks. But I think it is quite important to get a sense from the minister and her team because the Pharmacy Council has come out to say that at least 131 pharmacies have been destroyed, 80% of which are in KZN. And um, and so it would be in, it would be quite useful to understand what are the what is the initial uh, understanding of the damage that has been caused, and also um, what more importantly actually what are the contingency plans that are in place to try and get those pharmacies up and running, particularly for people who um, have who, who have chronic illnesses that need to access chronic medication. Uh, because obviously now what would this mean, what this would mean is that we would have um, a situation where a whole lot or hundreds of thousands of people are unable to access the chronic medication. So can 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 the minister just shed some light on this? Because with centralized communications now only coming from the presidency, it is important on our side to get an understanding on what are the plans in particular to try and get those particular pharmacies or or healthcare facilities up and running um, and concrete plans at that. Then um, what, it would be interesting to understand uh, from Dr. Crisp in particular, the projections in terms of the, 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 what the, the projections are from the various unrest that we've had. We've obviously seen Large gatherings taking place. A number of some of the gatherings took place over two weeks ago. Um, we saw large gatherings in KZN. We saw large gatherings in, in Pretoria in, in Twane, uh several weeks ago. So we we just an understanding of what the projections are in terms of the increase in infections. Um, and also particularly looking at the fact that there is large there's been large movements of people not just within provinces but across provincial lines, because I think that will be quite important to understand and also in particular what the contingency plans are to help deal with the 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 infections that we might see, and how is there a targeted approach to try and get and get um, a, an accelerated vaccine program particularly from those provinces in Gaudeng, KZN in particular. And then um, the other question and the last question that I, I, I've got to pose is, I saw in the presentation, uh, Dr. Crisp's presentation, the fact that over just over 60% of healthcare workers are fully inoculated. And, um, and of course, one of the things that the department has you know, made a commitment for uh, months ago was that there were 1.2 uh, people working in the healthcare sector, uh, many of which they would like to have inoculated before we even began uh, inoculating the rest of the other age groups or, or the other high risk uh, group uh, categories. Now with just this low number, in my view, over 60% is quite low. So what then is the plan? I mean, and also what is the cause of this? Is it Is it uh, vaccine hesitancy? Is it access? What is the issue and why are we not able to bring this number a little bit higher? Um, I would have assumed at least 80% making room for um, those people who choose not to get vaccinated. And so I I would like to understand what the plan is. And then lastly, um, the the categorization of people has often changed, Um, Minister and your team. Because there was then a focus on people with comorbidities. There was always going to be a focus on people, um, those people who are incarcerated. Um, there were various focus plans. And then that was changed, where then the teachers and the members of the SAPs were uh, brought on board. Um, and so, what is now currently the, 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 the order of, of prioritization? what are we looking at i mean we know that the over 35s are now being uh, targeted but what is the according to the science and those who are most at risk where are we in terms of targeting people with comorbidities how is this going to work because it seems as though the initial strategy has now been tossed away and they you know they they seemingly is just now uh, moving down a list of people according to age and there isn't seemingly a plan around particularly some people who are still higher risk, who may not fall within the categories that are, are being inoculated at the moment, especially people in in, um, in 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 who are being incarcerated, and and various other high risk uh, spaces. Thank you.
3: Masenwa. Thank you, Chairperson. Let me again greet the minister and her group first of all i must say to the minister my deepest condolences to the anc and to you minister for the passing away of mrs maluleke and her husband sorry for that i have two or three clarity seeking questions, Minister, if you can tell us if the department has information on whether any people who have been fully vaccinated have been admitted to hospitals with COVID-19. And if so, how many and in which age group do they fall remember i'm asking this question for clarity whether south africa is at risk of more infection from vaccinated population like what is happening in the u.s and the UK? And if so, whether any step have been taken to minimize such infection among vaccinated people? What is the department doing to minimize such doubts and encourage people to go get vaccinated? Thank you.
5: Thank you very much, Chairperson. Let me also welcome the presentation from the Minister uh, and also from the team led uh, of the department. Thanks, Dr. Crisp, for the presentation. Just a few uh, clarity seeking questions, Honorable Minister. Um, the first one is uh, uh, around your targets, Honorable Minister, in terms of vaccination. What 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 is the picture? Are you meeting your targets? And if not, is there any plan to make sure that you are reaching your targets? The second one, Honorable Minister, in as far as a vaccine, a vaccines that have expired, are we having vaccines that have expired? And if so, what are you doing with those uh, vaccines that have expired? Then, uh, Honorable Minister, I'm very happy to hear that uh, The National Department of Health is uh, intervening in provinces that are not doing very well in as far as vaccination coverage is concerned. That is a good thing. Uh, I'm really happy to hear that. Then the third question, Honorable Minister, it's around the uninsured population. I hope my, my assumption might not be wrong because I might assume that most of those uninsured population are most of our people that comes from. The villages and your far-flung areas in provinces uh, my question will be what 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 is the department doing to make sure that we are reaching out to those people in the villages in the far-flung areas the, 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 the limpompo experience for instance is a very good one where they go out and you know, reach out to those people that are in the villages then the last question honourable minister it's around it's, it's 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 related to the one asked by Honorable Guachume. uh Are we still having outstanding uh, healthcare workers or frontline workers that have not yet come forward uh, to be vaccinated? And if so, what what, what is the plan to make sure so that we still cover those uh, healthcare and uh, frontline workers? Thank you very much, Chair.
6: Um, thank you very much, Chairperson. Uh, thank you, Acting Minister of Health, for your for your presentation together with your team. I have I also have a set of questions here that I would like appraisal from the interview and the minister. Firstly, um, there was a Sinovac representative that was on Power FM last week. I think on the 16th of July, uh, who stated that uh, the department has not honoured their commitment with Sinovac on the delivering of vaccines. I want to hear from the minister, what is the commitment or the agreement with Sinovac and the NDOH in regards to the delivery of the 2.5 million vaccines and the 7.5 subsequently following that. Uh, And what is the reason, um, noting the fact that we are in dire desperate need of vaccines that the NDOH, uh, the Department of Health and, and the minister have not honored uh, their commitment with Sinovac to date. And secondly, there were also reports of the fact that there's been a delay in relation to the delivery of j- J&J vaccines. Can the minister please please us with the reasons for this, what the intervention is, uh, and how this has affected the rollout in the places you have uh, predominantly prioritized the rollout lot of j and in raw areas, for example, like you have said yourselves, Uh, And and how has this affected uh, the vaccination process so far? Number three, um, there's also been reports that media personnel has been cleared, so journalists have been cleared for vaccination. Um, But my concern is that, uh, and this is something that I think has been raised already, that what about persons with comorbidities? I feel like we are digressing further and further away from the World Health organization guidelines on prioritizing persons for the rollout um, so what is the reason behind prioritizing a desktop writer over someone who has cerebral palsy for example cashier, petrol attendants uh, who should also be prioritized as as, as as frontline workers i mean it's sad that we' are having this conversation because we are scrambling for vaccines to begin with so i'm not saying journalists are not important or any of we're scrambling for vaccines to begin with is Something that falls that falls squarely on your feet as as the as the sixth administration under the leadership of President Ramaphosa. Uh, And number four, why hasn't the department? So Sapa was here earlier on, and they state that they have not heard or have not received any complaints in regard to the use of surgical mesh complications. I mean, there's been developments on this conversation because it turns out that SAPRA misled the Portfolio Committee. Upindile Lemube, the, the person that I've been in contact with with the Minister of Health, has told me that she has been in constant communication with SAPRA um, and has raised the issue of the use of surgical mesh complications with them. So they misled the Committee today, effectively lying in the Portfolio Committee um, in regards to them not having ever received a communication in regards to the complications of surgical mesh, the fact that other countries are doing surgical removals for free, like Australia, New Zealand, and Scotland, for example, uh, and that in South Africa, it's still being mainstreamed and still being used, especially transvaginal uh, surgical mesh and hernia surgical mesh. Um, So I want to know why the department hasn't informed SAPRA um, of this particular global phenomenon, which is very important. Um, there are litigation cases against the Department of Health, and yet you have not informed the regulatory body on the effect. The fact that they have been informed is another conversation altogether that I will raise with them once again for lying in the Portfolio Committee earlier today. Um, and number five, I would like an update on the Kikapela Pharmaceutical Company. I'm asking this because of the fact that uh, we've seen reports of the fact that BioVac will be uh, producing E Pfizer as from next year 2022. I want to know what then is the status of the of our own state-owned pharmaceutical company and why it is unable to do this particular service. Um and and just the general uh, circumstance or situation regarding our state-owned pharmaceutical company. Um and number six, the issue of privatizing delivery and inoculation was always going to compromise the poor. We raised this a long time ago to the NDOH. The fact that privatizing delivery and vaccination uh, to private companies was going to compromise the poor because they don't have immediate access to these facilities. Hence, we called for the capacitating of state-owned facilities and state uh, state health facilities. This has not happened in the way that you have outsourced uh, such services to private companies, who have then obviously done what a private company will do, and that is prioritize their cohort to the 10% population um, in the country and not necessarily the rest of the 80% of people who are also part of the system because that is the modest operandi. Um, So I find it a bit disingenuous for the NDOH to come bring this as as a problem that now arises when it was flagged to you way prior to even the the, 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 the tendering process to clicks and discam and all of that. We already said, we even released a statement as the EFF in regards to this particular thing that outsourcing such services pertaining to public health, especially when there's the whole process of nationalization uh, of, 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 of the vaccine process is gonna compromise the poor and people living in township, informal areas and rural areas. So it's a bit disingenuous we hear this today in July from the end age that all of a sudden you now see what we are saying. You were already told by this portfolio committee um, and you did not make amends to ensure that you already do something with the foresight that this portfolio committee had already given to you. Um, and lastly, I want to ask for an update in relation to to Sinopharm. Uh, this is in, also, you can link the two questions to the Sinovac one at the top uh, because Sapra did say that Sinovac and Sinopharm have been approved. I want to know because I know that there were there were, uh, uh, the engagements between the NDOH and Sinopharm were at a, a very high level in February. So I want to know what the update is. Did you decide to no longer go with Sinopharm uh, in favor of Pfizer and JNJ? Uh, and, and And what then is the situation now, noting the approval of both these vaccines and the fact that you failed to deliver on, 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 on a commitment you made to one of the manufacturing companies? Thank you very much, Jefferson.
0: Let me Uh, just confirm. Yeah, Honorable Kela. Yes.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Tinangwe.
6: I don't have a question, Chair, but uh, I want to
1: welcome the report uh, from the department and also from the minister. Uh, We really appreciate uh, this report. And also we know that what happened last week. But I must say, because I'm also residing in Gauteng, I've seen that uh, the program is continuing uh, in our province. And I'm saying uh, keep it up, the good work, uh, Minister, with your team. And thank you very much for uh, updating us as a portfolio so that at least we know what is happening
5: on the ground. Thank you very much. Okay. Any other
0: <laughs> member? Any other members left
5: out?
4: Chair, present. There's this one question that I left out. Chair.
0: Go oh, ahead, Honorable oh, okay.
4: Kwakuba. Yes. Um, I, I just wanted to have an understanding, Chair, because I mean, in, in that what is the current uh supply of vaccines that is in the country at the moment because i think that will guide in terms of what we are able to to deliver on so there isn't quite a sense of you know while while all these vaccinations are happening but what is left almost in the in the ticky and um and and also then you know what what other consignments are we waiting to 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 receive thank you any other member would like to come in?
0: Okay. Not, Honorable Ismail, Chair. Yes, Honorable Ismail.
7: Thank you, Chair. I'm sorry that I have raised my hand very late. Um, I just have a few questions. My first question is, I'm very curious to understand the phases that the department is using now. We note we have reached age groups now 35 and above. Now, I'm very much concerned Is there are special need people Inclusive of uh, children, and when I say children, I mean 15, 16, 17, 18, with comorbidities that are at high risk if they are not vaccinated as a matter of priority. Um, when I say special needs, I mean uh, ch- uh, they fall into the category of uh people with disabilities, et cetera, where they need caregivers to take care of themselves. And I'm just worried with the pace that we are doing now with vaccinations, although we are increasing steadily. I mean, um, uh, when are we going to be reaching these special need uh, people? Secondly, I noted some health care workers are having difficulty registering on the health care workers registration system. I have escalated this uh, or quite a few of these to the department, the National Department of Health. And while on a one-on-one basis they've been assisted, I just want to know how is the department going to address this? Because this may be one of the reasons why, you know, all our healthcare workers that want to be inoculated has not as yet been, uh, you know, vaccinated. My third question, um, I'm also asking, when will caregivers of these special needs children be vaccinated? as they would fall into the category of uh, educators or caregivers and while they are not you know educators as such you know we have um we have situations where there are homes and there are caregivers that come to these uh, special need children to take care of them and they are somewhat left behind And my last question is, when will pregnant women not falling into the category of 35 upwards be vaccinated? Because I would, um, you know, I would think that they they are also at risk at this point of time. Thank you, Chair.
0: Okay, thank you. Uh, Any other member? Okay, if not, uh, thank you very much for the presentation and the the opening comments of the Minister. Minister, in your opening remarks, you you made mention of a a call on if any of our members of the society come across contaminated or medicines that are just found out there on the the black market, you also are saying rightfully that those medicines may be contaminated. Maybe you can also help us so that we can be an extension of what we we are saying. What are you saying members of the society should do if they come across anyone bringing those uh, uh, contaminated, those medicines that are out there probably looted from elsewhere, uh, that no one would know what type of a medicine is this way does it come from? What should members of the society do? That will assist us also so that we could then support the message that we are putting forward. I, I wanted to also ask the question that was asked by Honorable but I think the first one <clears throat> is to make a correction there. Uh, the public, the vaccinated public health care workers, percentage vaccinated is 76%. And the percentage fully vaccinated is 68.6. So almost close to uh, 69, 70%. So it is quite a pretty high number. But nevertheless, one would still wish that uh, we get them all vaccinated. because they get exposed to all of us. What's the projection timeline to maybe deal with the balance of these twenty-four percent other workers, or maybe you will probably not get you. You think you will never get two hundred percent, maybe of, rightfully so. For what Honourable Kwahubu are saying, other members of the society are probably reluctant to go through that process. The the, the other matter, uh, Honourable Minister, is what actually. Uh, might be in the back of our minds is to, as we are advancing these programs, uh, getting vaccines, rolling out vaccines, are we still taking on board other programs that uh, we're supposed to carry on because uh, your department is a department of all other programs, including this one, forecasting, I mean, including within just uh, Uh, the infectious disease, when this pandemic hit us, we were already dealing with the quadruple burden of disease, HIV and TB, maternal uh, deaths, non-communicable disease, violence and trauma. Do we still find these programs with us as we go along? Or maybe some of them are left behind. By the time we go back and pick them up, we might face challenges. Uh, It may just be nice to check and see if you still do find time to look at those programs and and get them moving also. May I take this one back now to the Minister and her
5: team uh, for responses to the questions asked by the Honourable Members.
1: Chairperson? thank you. I will conclude after other members um, of the team has responded. So I'll start with Dr. Chris, the chair, um, the and, um, and D-M, and then I'll
2: come through. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you, Minister. Um, I'll try to go through them as quickly as I can. There are a lot of questions and see what we can, uh, how we can manage. The damage in the past week or 10 days, uh, the estimated number of missed vaccinations is around about 250,000 based on uh, what the provinces were vaccinating prior to the disruptions. The actual loss of doses of vaccine, as the minister said, we're still getting reports in, but it looks like it's around 25,000 doses that have uh, been lost, either stolen or destroyed. Um, in terms of the infrastructure and the ability to deliver uh, as as uh, we heard from the Honourable Gurube, there there were a large number of pharmacies, private pharmacies that were damaged. Not all of those were vaccination centres, but obviously it's still of concern to us because that's where many patients get their other medications. Uh, one <clears throat> one uh, bulk store that had uh, some of these twenty five thousand vaccines in was also completely gutted and emptied, and those are the medicines that the um, Honorable Chair was mentioning just now that we are concerned about they get into uh, some kind of illicit market and people might try to buy them. So they're, they're, the other medicines was a substantial, uh, probably for the private sector could be as much as a third of the medicines that were uh, in the province, in the, in the storage part of the, of the province that have been lost. So obviously to recover that is going to take some time. The, the, the loss of the vaccines is not uh, huge, but obviously every lost vaccine is a, is a lost uh, opportunity to vaccinate. So the projections of the impact on the transmission for the third wave is uh, anybody's guess. The modelers have looked at it to see. We do expect that it will tip up for the very reasons Honourable Garubia has mentioned, uh, that we will see a second hump. Um, we don't know how big it will be or when to expect it, but should be probably within seven to ten days after people were milling around together and transmitting the the, vaccine, the, the virus. Um, the healthcare workers, I'll address it here. So, a lot of healthcare workers do not register as healthcare workers when they get vaccinated. They may just be in a, as part of the general population. The only portion of the healthcare care workers that we can actually measure confidently now is the public sector healthcare care workers, because we can use the personal number and ID to correlate whether the public healthcare care workers have been vaccinated or not. And it's, it's the, the 24% that have not come for vaccination is obviously a target we would want to continue to work on. But we do understand that people do have hesitancy, even if they work in the health system, And it's going to take real hard work to get to the remainder. For the healthcare workers that are not part of the public service, um, there is a a portal that is open to them. Uh, We had to close the original portal because thousands of people were registering just off the general public and we were unable to to know whether those people were legitimate uh, legitimate health workers. So there is a long list that was published some months ago of the expanded definition of healthcare workers. And that's what makes up the, the balance to the 1.2 million. What we have recorded on the system as healthcare workers is just over 900,000 vaccinations uh, of people who have declared themselves of healthcare workers. So it's the portion in the public sector and those that are in the private sector. Um, So we obviously still have a way to go to get the remainder of people in in the sector, but it could be around about 300,000 that we are actually looking for still. And we would encourage those people to come forward and be vaccinated. The categorization of people. So there's a lot of evidence now, and it has been shown even on this platform before by Dr. Anban Pillay, that the age is the single most predictable um factor for severe infection and hospitalization by far, more than any comorbidity. And that's been presented from with international evidence and with evidence from South Africa of us tracking what is going on, work that was done in the NHLS, NICD. Uh, and it showed us that every everybody over the age of 50 as cohorts are more vulnerable than even people with uh with comorbidities. And even the population 40 plus uh many people in that in that cater are more vulnerable than people with comorbidities. And so the the challenge really is to go as and we've learned this from other countries too, is to go as fast as possible and not to burden the this the the rollout program with a lot of administratively difficult things to vac- uh, to administer in a vaccination program. You also impede on people's uh privacy when you start asking them in a public place to prove that they have a, a comorbidity and it's very easy to defraud the paperwork anyway. So it, it becomes an absolute administrative nightmare with people pointing fingers at one, on, one another. The, the challenge is to get to as many people as fast as possible. Um, and that's why we've opened up now to 35 pluses and in due course, as soon as that program is running, I'm sure there will be an announcement of how we're going to deal with the, the last cohort. Um, The current uh, supply of vaccines, the last question from Karube is that yesterday morning, so we've done uh, quite a substantial number of vaccinations during the course of the day. I'm sure the minister will report on that in a minute. But as of yesterday, we had 2.68 million doses combined of Johnson & Johnson and uh, Pfizer in in the country. Which at the rate that we are going at the moment is about 15 days of stock. And we are expecting another 900,000 over the weekend if all goes according to, to plan. But we have a pipeline planned from early August, which is over 5.6 million doses of Pfizer. And hopefully the Johnson and Johnson vaccine should be the first, the first delivery should arrive in that week. But uh, we'll, we won't hold our breaths until we actually see that it's arrived. But we, we do believe that that is now all unlocked and, and going to flow. So I think we for our, for the first time, we have line of sight of a lot of vaccine from now until the end of October. And uh, we are confident that we can scale up as fast as possible and we're not going to run out of vaccine. Um, so uh, questions from Honorable Flingua. Fully vaccinated people admitted uh, we don't have a uh an accurate figure of that we get anecdotal reports as well but the the there's a team from the nicd that is busy investigating the reports and what they do is they then correlate the id numbers of people who are reported admitted in hospital against the vaccination status in the evds and as soon as we have that the data is available by age group as well as soon as we have managed to do that correlation we'll be able to supply the information um so there are people at risk of infection from uh uh is South Africa at risk of infection from vaccinated population? Yes, the vaccinated population still remains at risk. And what we do about it is we continue to advise people, as is the global uh requirement, to continue to wear your mask, continue with washing hands and with social distance. Just because you vaccinated doesn't mean you can't be infected and can't carry the virus. Uh, we know that that is possible, but fortunately it's likely to be a mild infection. But it means we still have to have the non pharmaceutical interventions to protect all of us. Um, we do have a program, we have a, uh, together with the GCIS, a program to provide information to the public and where they can go to myth, uh, myths busting uh, a site and can find the the information. We just need to publish that more so that everybody knows where to find it. The Honourable Sikachu, the targets, are we meeting our targets? Yes, at the moment, we are definitely meeting our targets. Our target was to be at 250,000 per day by the end of this week. And uh, last week, our target was 200,000. We got to 191,000 last week, but this week we have exceeded uh, the 250,000 target on a day. So we are confident that the program is scaling up at the anticipated level. We've also been comparing ourselves with all the other uh, from programs around the world, and we know that relative to other countries, our scale-up is competing very well. We rank somewhere around number 52 out of 255 countries on our current scale-up. So we, we're very happy, and it's inspiring us to, to move faster. We have had no vaccines expired yet. Uh, no, that's not quite correct. There was one small batch that was provided to a, a private hospital group to vaccinate in a mining community, and some of those vaccines, uh, one tray, was, uh, it did expire. So we are aware of that one, but what normally happens is we monitor, we know the expiry dates, and it's declared on the stock visibility system. And uh, when we see that vaccines are getting close to an expiry date, we move them to the high-volume areas so that we can use them in advance of their expiry. That's a normal process that the pharmacists are engaged in, and there was just that one error uh, some weeks ago. Um, the uninsured population. So what's fascinating about the uninsured population is that uh, the, the ones that are we finding the most difficult to get to are, in fact, in the urban areas and uh, around townships and uh, informal settlements around cities, not so much the rural areas. As I showed in the data that I presented, the Limpopo and Eastern Cape are doing incredibly well in vaccinating their uh, uninsured population, I- including in the rural areas. It's urban areas where it seems to be more difficult to mobilize people to come. We do believe that the younger population is m- more likely to engage and time will tell whether we're right. And we would like to appeal to younger population to motivate and bring the, their parents and grandparents with them for vaccinations. We don't know why the remaining population of the healthcare workers don't come forward, but we've got no reason to suspect it's any different from the general population who do have fears. Some have religious reasons they don't want to be vaccinated um, and. Uh, there have been studies done by other parties outside of the health department that have been published recently, including the courtly reports that uh, come from the HSRC and various universities. Um, there will always be a portion of people who just not don't want to be vaccinated. Honourable Chirwa's questions uh, about uh, Sinovac. Uh, Sinovac has a conditional registration with SAPRA, And, uh, that goes through a process now. And there's a committee in the department that looks at all essential medicines. A recommendation is from there goes into the procurement process. And so that, that is what's followed for all, all medicines and all vaccines. And it is in that process at the moment. And the company has been in touch with us in the past week. So uh, hopefully that will be expedited. The Johnson and Johnson vaccine situation has been restored. I think we all know what happened uh, abroad with the stock that was coming from outside of the country, but uh, we believe we're on top of that now and the company has um, uh, started to provide us with schedules of delivery dates. The question of who gets vaccinated in what order and whether one chooses journalists or others and comorbidities, I hope I answered the question earlier that actually it's age-related. That is, that is the main thing, is to get to the age-related, the older population first. And uh, now we, our major challenge is to open up as fast as possible and to get to a stage where we are doing a million doses every three days so that uh, everybody can be seen. Um, BioVac is, in fact, a, a partly state-owned company as well. Uh, I know that we are referring to the state-owned pharmaceutical company uh, a pharmaceutical company is not the same as a vaccine, a vaccine manufacturer. That's quite a different process with biologicals. So both both of those companies are very relevant to our sustainable uh, pharmaceutical supplies in the country. And it's not either or. We need both of them. And we are very happy that BioVac has uh, passed the test and uh, WHO and the other partner companies are happy that they have the capability of manufacturing in South Africa for our continent. It's not an either or, we need them both. Um, just a clarification on the privatizing of delivery. There was no tender. We don't, we don't go out on tender for, for private facilities to deliver vaccination. And every single possible health professional who's allowed to vaccinate, to be available for vaccination of everybody. And the agreement with all the private uh, providers is that all sites, whether they are private pharmacies or whether they're part of the public health program, must be available for vaccinating both the insured and the uninsured. The the issue around how they get a head start is because of the location, that there are many uh, private facilities that are uh, located in communities who are insured. It's uh, It's because of their front shops and the other stuff that they sell that makes their businesses viable. And that's the same in the whole health service uh, uh, that we need to have uh, the public health sector concentrating on the population who doesn't have access to this kinds of services. Again, we don't want either or. We want all, every single possible vaccination capability to add to the capacity so we can get to more people quicker. Um. The, there was a question asked by Honourable Ismail about uh, the prioritisation of special needs children under the age of 18. We don't have any vaccine in South Africa that's registered for use in people under the age of 18. Uh, that's not to say it will always be like that. But our vaccines are on an emergency release uh, um, condition like uh, for the WHO has in other countries. And they are not currently uh, licensed for using under the age of 18. Um, the official, officially registering with the, the portal that's available, uh, that can be brought to our attention because there shouldn't be problems still with uh, healthcare workers accessing the portal. We do know that many healthcare workers who are of the age categories have gone on their own to get vaccinated and have not gone through a healthcare worker portal. Uh, but we then can't count that number as a healthcare worker. We just know anecdotally that they tell us they have gone and got vaccinated. But there should be no problem at all with people registering. And uh, when those those come to our attention, we deal with them immediately. The caregivers of special needs children uh, and all special care environments are dealt with under our congregate settings program. So if any of those have still been missed, uh, we need to know about them so that we can uh, bring them to the attention of the uh, the provincial health departments who are running those congregate setting programs. We are under the impression we have already dealt with uh, congregate settings, but if there there are any, we'd be happy to do that. The vaccination of pregnant women, there has been a circular out of when in pregnancy it is safe or not safe or recommended and not recommended for vaccination. And uh, there are some uh, pregnant women over the age of 35 who are being vaccinated And that's another reason why we need to move as rapidly as possible to vaccinate this group so that we can open the the group between 18 and 34 and cover more of those people. Um, The last question that I can answer from the chair was around are other services going in? Yes, most certainly they're going on, but they are, we will not deny they are impacted by the large number of staff who are are working on the uh, vaccination programme but the chronic medicines and other programs are still continuing across the provinces. Um, Chair Minister, I'll leave my contributions there.
8: Thank you, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Crisp. Um, uh, good evening to the uh, Honorable Chair, uh, my Minister and my Deputy Minister, Honorable Members, Dr. Crisp has covered uh, most of the questions, uh, but I'd like just to uh, to add that um, uh, with Sinovac, we've never had any commitment. In, if if there, uh, there was any commitment, uh, it would have been signed by uh, my office um, as the authorized signature of the department. So we don't have any agreement. It's now that uh, our internal committee is processing the matter, and then uh, we will take uh, the next steps once they give us a green light on what to do as it pertains to Sinovac. I think the, ne- the next issue I wanted to stress is that, yes, BioVac is 47% owned by the state, uh, and, um, and there is uh, a possibility that before the end of this year, uh, of course, through the Department of Science and Innovation, uh, the, the state might be a majority shareholder um, at BioVac. Um, uh, other than that, I really think Dr. Crisp has uh, done justice and answered most of the questions. But maybe the one I just need to quickly touch on is the issue of the surgical mesh. It will be very difficult to comment on this one because um, we're not part of the meeting uh, with SAPRA where this matter was discussed. Uh, We will probably uh, just uh, need uh, uh, need to follow up and find out uh, what uh, the issues were uh, as it relates uh, to the issue of the surgical mesh. Thank you very much. Uh, I'll uh, take it back to, uh, to my minister and deputy minister.
9: Uh, thank you, Chairperson. Just a few comments from my side. Uh, I think the team has dealt with uh, almost all the questions. Just a comment, uh, just to add on, um, I think the issue of uh, Honorable Chira on Ketlapela. Uh, that uh, that project is still ongoing uh, under the Department of Science and Innovation with our support, uh, the whole of government, it continues to support, uh, but it's a complex matter which is managed in that department because government alone cannot uh, go into a manufacturing of medicines alone. So as far as we know, the science and innovation uh, uh, department is continuing to talk to various uh, manufacturers to look at the possible partnerships and also working also with the national treasury and the Department of uh, Trade Industry and Competition to see, to look at models in terms of how this could be uh, managed uh, once there's some suitors who they could be able to agree with. In terms of, I think Dr. Chris dealt with the fact that we we definitely are not engaged in any privatization of services. Uh, There's a, a joint working relationship with a number of private providers Uh, They've done uh, quite a good job in terms of adding additional capacity. Uh, In the initial period, they focused on the insured uh, until there was uh, uh, an agreement with the uh, finalization of an agreement with the department through which, uh, uh, because when they do the insured, uh, they get their reimbursement of the vaccines which they pay for um, uh, from when when they receive the vaccines from BioVec, they do pay for them. And then they had to be finalization of the reimbursement when they do public uh, uninsured uh, uh, um, uh, recipients. And this is now finalized. And therefore, also uninsured uh, 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 South Africans are also receiving services from these uh, uh, private providers. That's why it's it's important for us to continue so when there's a dis- uh, 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 Destruction of uh, private pharmacies; it does affect our ability to to provide services. Um, I think over and above that, I think maybe the DG just forgot to mention also that, as far as we are aware, Sinofarm Farm has not yet met the requirements uh, with with uh, SAPRA. So, so that is not correct to to say that the Sinofarm Farm also has already been uh, approved by. Uh, by SAPRA. Um, again, just to add uh, on, on the question of the uh, chairperson, Honorable Jomo, that indeed, as much as we're trying by all means to make sure that no services are left behind, the pressure of the work of containment of uh, the COVID-19, especially you know all the work which has to be done, uh, caring for those who are infected, all the work in terms of uh, uh, um, screening um, and also isolation and quarantine, all those, including now the vaccination. Uh, um, uh, quite a lot of that requires health professionals, um, and therefore, and also the fact that uh, our health services do get overwhelmed from time to time with all these second and sec- I mean first, second, and third waves. So uh, we 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 all wishing that uh, as we push the vaccination. Hopefully by the time we reach the 70%, hopefully latest by January next year, if not by December, uh, we will get, we'll reap the fruits of uh, less infections and less severe illness. Uh, in which case, many of our health workers will then be released to continue to provide comprehensive healthcare. But at the current moment, we try by all means to make sure that uh, we don't lose a lot of ground in terms of your non-communicable diseases and also other chronic illnesses like your HIV and AIDS and also tuberculosis uh,
0: and malaria. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chair. Minister, before you come in, may I take another hand of uh, the follow-up from Honorable Chirwa? Thank you very much.
6: Thank you very much, um, Chairperson. I feel like my questions are not being answered in, in how I am asking them. Uh, firstly, I asked of the status of Getla a uh, pharmaceutical company. Like, what is its current status as a state-owned pharmaceutical company? Is it operating? How is it operating? Did it cease operating? When did it cease operating? I, I want a diagnosis of Getla Pela. Uh, and also, on the issue of Sinovac, uh, maybe it's a Issue of semantics. Sinovac offered South Africa ten million vaccines, two point five, uh, immediately as procurement happens. I'm asking why has South Africa, the NTO, is the minister of health aware of the good relations between China and South Africa, not yet have taken up this offer, knowing that Sinovac has prioritized South Africa because of the BRICS relationship with SA. So I'm asking why the VMAC. Uh, the South African Ministerial Advisory Committee on, on vaccines, what is the update in relation to 5 million vaccines that are available on demand, not yet been taken up for so long? After And the fact that you are responding about what has happened this week or what's going to happen this week does not suffice, unfortunately. I want to know what has caused the delay so far. Is it because the VMAC committee did not meet? Uh, is it because uh, you are still procuring J and J vaccines which are delayed and have not yet been submitted and delivered, despite the fact that there is a pharmaceutical company that is saying we will give you 2 point5 million vaccines immediately. Why haven't you taken up that offer to date? and why are you waiting on J and J, which is also delaying dates on when they will deliver vaccines? You don't even have the dates for us or the public, but there is a manufacturing company that is saying we'll give you immediately, and you are not taking that up. So obviously, this brings us back to the issue of the bias, which we've told you about countless times. That we are picking up an issue of biasness in favor of J&J over other vaccine manufacturers, and this is a blatant example of such a thing. That Sinovac is saying, "We'll give you immediately." J&J, you've procured; they don't even know the date of when they will deliver them. You don't know the date; you have not made them public to us, and we are asking about the date. They're not giving us the date of what and the reason of what's causing this delay. And furthermore, on top of that, why have you delayed procuring Sinovac vaccines, knowing we are in dire desperate need of those vaccines as a country? And we have prioritization from Sinovac. You've been crying about the fact that there's a whole, uh, the Western world taking ownership or making it hard for for African countries to procure vaccines. Now there's a manufacturing company that's offering you 2.5 million vaccines. Immediately, you know about it. Uh, and you are still not procuring it, but you're waiting on change and you don't even have the dates for that. So I'm uh, asking about what has taken you that long. And yeah, another thing in relation to Sino farm, I'm asking because you were at advanced stages in February. What is the update today? I would really like for my question to be answered in the way that I'm asking them. And if there's an issue of clarity, please raise that so that I can also clarify like I'm doing now with a follow up. Uh, that's all. Just answer those questions. Why?
0: Yeah, department officials before the minister comes in.
1: No, it's fine. I'll go ahead, Che. Just leave it. Okay. I think the first thing that I need to clear, Honorable Chiro, if there's a donation, as the minister of health, I will receive the letter. I've had bilateral meetings with the Chinese ambassador in South Africa. There's not been such. So, just to explain, in terms of the protocol, how we I didn't depends.
6: say anything about donations. I said uh, they have two point uh, five billion available. Air, Bunchilwa. Bunchilwa. But don't misquote me because you are changing Bunchilwa. the entire project.
0: Honorable Chirwa, you don't interject because the minister would have interjected while we were speaking. She didn't, so you also do the same. You don't interject. I'm you so wait for her to speak. i was just
1: terrifying because it's important for this conversation. No. I don't want to be misquoted. Wait until I finish so that you can understand.
0: You wait for the response and only then you come in.
1: Honorable Chiro, there is no offer. In terms of, that's why I'm starting from a donation, because I'm clarifying this, you are not the first person who's made this public comment. Because there's quite a lot of misinformation, so Portfolio committee meetings are not only for you as members of parliament, but we must clarify broadly issues. So the first issue is that when Sinovac has been um, conditionally approved by the regulator, from that, it goes to VMEC, which needs to give us an update in terms of advice to say this is, the, this is what all other vaccines have been going through. So we have not firstly received a final advice from VMEC and I've urged them to say they need to understand the agency of the matter so that we can receive an advice. That's the first thing. Following that, that's when we take that into the process in NCCC to say, this is the advice we have received based on the efficacy of the vaccine, based on the data that we receive. And then out of there, that's where the team led by the DG then kicks in, in terms of the processes. So you cannot say that we are sitting with information that are not processing the vaccine, whether it's by offer, whether it's by donation, because many people have been moving from offer to donation, changing of weights. That's why I'm responding to both either so that we clarify in terms of the process of donation. We also clarify in terms of the process of an offer. Remember, even that, it has to be in terms of the how we have explained the contracts, how we have explained the procurement process. So that's the issue. I think there's quite a lot of misinformation that almost suggests that from the department point of view, there is a deliberate action to stall no, not to procure from certain vaccines, which I want to dispel here and now. We are desperate for vaccine. We want to vaccinate everybody, inoculate everyone in the country, and more numbers. As you see, for example, today we've surpassed our 250,000 mark. Now, when you drive and you want to drive towards 300,000 today, what you are interested in is to have a security of supply of the vaccine. Now, where we sit, because we have put a process, we must never, because if tomorrow we are seen to have, maybe given a preferential treatment towards a pharmaceutical that is said to be aligned to us ideologically and being a friend to South Africa, will be accused of putting the lives of South Africans at risk and putting our friendship higher. So it's very important for us to be consistent and follow the process. We have committed to the portfolio last time we were here. We asked also for SAPRA to explain the process that they are engaging in. And we've also updated to say, this is where we are. I can assure you, the minute we get this process, because we are not biased to one vaccine or to two vaccines, we just need the vaccines that are going to help save South Africans. That's where we are. The minute we get that, we'll start working. And we are looking, we've been receiving, asking questions from VMEC to say, give us an update on this as soon as you are done. And they have assured us that they are doing the work. So that's the first thing. On its appeal, Honorable Chief, that's why DM said it's not under the Department of Health. So one of the things as KTC is that you do not absorb, you do not take the responsibility of other departments. So we could respond generally as part of government, but that question would be best answered by Minister nzimande who is the custodian under Department of Science and Innovation, who is the responsible person to lead this program. So I think it will be unfair to expect us from health to give you details of where and why and how Gitlapilla is, and you know, all those details when it's not within our ambit as a responsibility. In terms of JJ, yes, Honorable Member, there was a delay in getting a schedule of delivery from JJ, but I can confirm now that we have received the schedule and we are expecting. As Dr. Crisp has explained, the number of vaccines that we're expecting by next week latest. So, based on the issues, when I got into the portfolio, one of the things that we had done was I had to write to both JNJ and to Pfizer to commit to a schedule with dates of delivery, not estimates that are saying within this quarter, because initially we had to say, this is what amount of doses that will be delivered per quarter. And now we went to say for proper planning and for us to be able to know that we can be able to roll out our vaccine program at what pace, at what speed, at what level. Um, we need to have the dates on site. Part even of what we are talking about is that the vaccines must be upfront loaded so that we can be able to ensure that we do not have. A delay nor disruption in terms of our vaccine rollout. So we can confirm, honorable members, that we have received the, both the schedules from G&J as explained by Dr. Crisp, and also from um, Pfizer. On Sinopharm, where we are sitting, we have not received indication from the regulator that Sinopharm has been approved unless if I'm I'm missing that. So that's the explanation, Honorable Chira, in terms of in detail explaining where we are sitting with the issues in terms of responses. In terms of caregivers, Honorable Ishmael, um, caregivers fall under ECDs. When we opened this week for both registration and vaccination of ECDs under social development, it's not only for private, for public sector, it includes private sector. Uh, so they need to register, reach out to social development or the sites that are closer. If you need that details, I know that from, from social development, they've been able to provide those and that's where they can be able to uh, vaccinate. So that's the issue. The issue around priorities, I think Honorable Ishmael spoke about. We are saying from the Department of Health, when we started the process, um, the program of vaccination, we had plans. We put these plans, and as we put the plans and we started delivering on these plans, it was very clear that certain things that we thought we could do would be practically impossible for us to be able to implement. And that's what necessitated us to go back to the drawing board and start reviewing what we have put in place. Now, firstly, around the issues of comorbidities we would have wanted to prioritize, for example, citizens, all citizens across ages of comorbidities. Now, when we went and started rolling out and engaging with the practitioners on the ground, it was very clear that it would be difficult to be able to say, this is how you identify a person with comorbidities. Where do you start? Where do you end? Similarly, again, The issue of sectoral, we started with it, we've started this week, we've evaluated with the ones that we have started. And now we are realizing that there's quite a huge amount of administration that you have to put in place, almost about four weeks of work, depending on whether that sector has a reliable data to be able to give you so that you can know how you are going to identify those people, how you are going to verify if they exist in that sector, And then also ensure that you upload them because you must know where you are going to find them so that you allocate them closer to where they are. So it's quite a lot of administration work. Now, as we looked at these pilots that we ran or teams that we ran or cohorts that we can utilize that we ran, we realized that it is not in our interest as the Department of Health to roll out this way. It's not efficient, it's not effective. It's actually time consuming And it actually removes us from ensuring that we can move in terms of mass rollout and ensuring that we can get the numbers that we want. So part of what we are looking at now is to say, are we able to go back to the IMC, which we haven't, we'll go tomorrow, and perhaps convince and appeal to the IMC to say, can we collapse the approach towards uh, sectors and other categories, but focus on rolling out the age population cohort, the next one. And also say, because from where we are sitting, we believe that that's the most efficient way of rolling out. It's less administrative uh, in terms of preparation, but it also removes the burden of saying, who do you prioritize first before who and why? because that's where we are. Like Honorable Chiro was talking that there is a call for a uh, media personnel to come through and others will say the religious sector and others will say the retail sector, as others would say, you know, the people who are in the station, in the petrol stations, petrol attendants, others will say this one's those who are. So you are having quite a number and others would say within the municipalities, you've got those who are dealing with services now as we look at this to be able to have for example let's take an example of retail yes they are frontline because they have to work interact with customers every day how do you get who where do you get the data from and what method are you going to use to capture their data and verify them are you not going to risk making sure that you get those who are within the formal retail and leaving the ones who are in the informal retail space. So those are the things that we are learning as we roll out this program. And we are trying to find mechanisms that will be intrusive and ensure equitable spread of the vaccine across, but giving each and every South African an equal opportunity where they want to, to be vaccinated. So that's where we are talking about vulnerable members and you would pardon us, If you find us having to change certain things that we've said to you, this is what. We will come back, as I said previously, to account to say, members, we've moved here, and these are the reasons why we moved, because we are interested in ensuring that we improve continuously the pace of vaccination as we have been doing. And we really appreciate even the practitioners on the ground who continue to give us feedback to say, this will work, this will not work, also, citizens who go on sites and tell us feedback to say this we found it easy or this one we found it a bit difficult and we are suggesting the following because that's what has been happening. So, that's where we are, honorable members, in terms of the work that we've been doing. Um, I think quite a number of uh, questions and answers have been provided. But again, the other issue that we need to, which is popular now rising, I'm not so sure what has caused that, the anti vaxxers coming up. I think. One of the things, Chairperson and Honorable Members, one has to continuously emphasize. It is a democratic right for a South African if they decide to say, I am not going to be vaccinated. We will not force, we've taken a decision that we don't force people to take the vaccine. But we appeal to South Africans if you've taken a decision that you are not going to vaccinate, respect other people's decision and democratic right to choose to vaccinate. We are seeing quite a lot growing in terms of the issues around people with um, side effects or severe effects that are picking up after vaccine, or even the emphasizing the issue around those who get hospitalized. I think both sides will find people sharing stories. The issue we must continuously emphasize is that when you vaccinate, it doesn't mean that you are not going to get COVID-19. That's what we must emphasize it means that it reduces the severity of you being sick or even potentially dying. There is, so we need to be very clear in our messaging. That's why the non-pharmaceutical interventions remains important. But secondly, those who have had side effects, we continue to say, especially the severe ones, or somebody who suspect that somebody might have died um, after having taken um, the vaccine. We encourage them to report so that a proper analysis and investigation can be done and assist us with more data in order for us to make conclusive remarks and uh, for the scientists to be able to make conclusive, proper conclusions. We continue to provide information. And you remember previously when we had our one of our media briefing, we had um, Dr. Gray, who came to present the findings in terms of investigation about what has happened. And what we want to caution again, we are seeing again the rise of fake news, the rise of fake um, posts, and we appeal to South Africans to be cautious because some of the people who are anti-vaxxers or anti-vaccines tend to create fake posters, Um, in terms of discouraging people to taking vaccine. So we ask South Africans to verify, reach out, even if it means you take a walk to a nearest health facility just to get information, please do so, so that we can be able to make sure that you have information. On our website as the department, there are frequently asked questions with answers. Please reach out into our website. you will get more information about this where you can see the questions that you have, it it is continuously being updated. We will do our best as well as the department to continuously as we do our media briefings to inform the public of the dangers or even the questions that they need to do. I know that some of the people were asking about, should I take the vaccine after I've tested positive? What are the dates? We provide that information consistently. So we are just urging people to make sure that they have the right information so that they can take decisions accurate when you go to the vaccine sites as well we need to continuously urge people to disclose and share their information with the health practitioner so that they are provided with advice that is proper thank you very much chairperson and i hope we've been able to answer all the questions that have been asked to us thank you
0: yeah yeah honorable members may i request that uh, Uh, we not only rely on these uh, fortnightly meetings with the minister and her team, we also do have an access to writing questions to them and uh, getting them to expand. And I was just thinking, uh, I missed one, but I want to really worry the minister now to answer. The issue of uh, Northwest doing relatively well because of the mining uh, industry there, that uh, they think uh, they are contributing significantly. I will be writing to the department just to explain for, to me how that uh, uh, actually has been done. So I would also want to invite us that uh, we also continuously engage with the department uh, because uh, that will assist our oversight uh, role, uh, not only to rely on these uh, meetings that we have, but also continuously engaging with them uh, on issues that we actually think we need to know about uh, I would like to then request that we bring this meeting to a close, uh, thanking the minister and her team uh, for the contribution and the update that they've given to us on the vaccines and the rollout. is highly appreciated. Uh, we want to encourage you. Uh, the president has asked you to go to 300,000 per day. You're just getting there. Uh, continue doing it, and uh, you probably will come back maybe to meet with us and you'll tell us that you are already exceeding. Uh, that desire of the president of 300,000 per day. Uh, Minister, if you do have your closing comments, we'll give you that space now.
1: No, thank you, Chair. I've said what I needed to say, just continue to appreciate the work that is done by members of Parliament um, in supporting the work in terms of the fight against um, the fight on against the pandemic and also supporting our vaccine gone out. We really appreciate that. Thank you, Chair.
0: Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you, honorable uh, members. You have been in this meeting since quarter to 10 this morning, and uh, I'm very encouraged by your enthusiasm to still engage the Department of Health and the Minister. I would like to bring this meeting to a close and have a good evening, and uh, the meeting is then adjourned.
5: Thank you very much. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. The Recording stopped. <laughs>
1: Thank you, Cher. Thank you, Cher.
0: Thank, chair. You. <laughs>
1: Thank, Thank you, chair. you, Thank you, Mama.
3: <laughs>